You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 44 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. This month we have an interview show and uh, the person proverbially sitting opposite me is our very own Alistair Jenks, whom I'm sure you all remember from previous episodes of Let's Talk Photography. Hi, Alistair. Hello, Bart. And yes, very opposite, as we were just discussing before recording. Yes, a few hundred miles from the antipode. So we are literally at opposite poles of the world as for the magic of technology we're talking in pretty much darn real time. Yep, sounds pretty good here. No lag at all. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of magical, really. We should take time and and sort of realize how amazing it is that we can do this. Um, it's it's bloody cool. We live in the future. We uh, do. So the reason I have you on on this photography show is is not to talk about how great the internet is, as great as it is. <laughs> um, but I have been. Let me see. Let me, I, I guess a bit of backstory for context. So people may, who follow me on Flickr may or may not have noticed, I basically went through nearly two years worth of not posting anything, which was because I kind of went into a bit of a dry spell. It was, I slightly blame Apple in the sense that when Aperture went away, it took me a long time to make friends with Lightroom. And that kind of took the fun out of photography. But I don't think that was the reason I hit a dry spell. I think the fun was already on its way out, and that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So I, I sort of went through a bit of a dry spell, and I've, I've heard um, Antonio talking on his podcast about it. He's currently in a dry spell himself. And sort of the, the, the thing that's got me out of the dry spell is I've decided to branch into a new a new aspect of a new subject, a new genre. I'm not quite sure what the right word is, but basically... A, subject, I think, yeah. Yeah, so a new thing to photograph um which is actually inspired by a blog post which was an excerpt from a book which is kind of bizarre but basically it was a guy who he was living in nor he was living a life as a regular corporate executive and then somehow he decided that he wanted to become a pilot and did so and he writes very interesting blog posts about it and i think what was it he it was a blog post basically about aviation english which then got me into call signs, oh, right. which then got me into all sorts of nerdy stuff. And me, me being the nerd I am, when I start to read about something, I completely nerd out on it. Um, so then I wanted to know, why, why, why does Dublin Airport have a runway 10, a runway 28? doesn't have runway 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> How the hell so do we on. get to 28? <laughs> the answer is the compass. Um, and runway yes. 10 is exactly 18 from runway 28 because it's exactly 180 degrees if you go the other way around. But anyway. Yep. So then I started, I found online an app that lets you listen in live to air traffic control. And then I found Flight Radar 24 so I could watch the airplanes and listen to air traffic control. So then I had my nerd on completely. Um, and then I started, started getting fit and started cycling. And then I ended up passing the airport. And at that point, I actually felt this sudden urge, I want to take my camera with me. And I got back into shooting. And so my new subject is aviation photography. And the reason you're here is because you've been doing this for a very long time. Um, whereas I've only basically been tinkering at it f 
for it's spread out over a year, but it's not actually that many physical hours of being at the airport with a camera. And I sort of want to pick your brains and maybe also in the process inspire other people to have a go at this and just to talk about the, the genre in general. So maybe just a, a little bit of backstory just to sort of fill people in, Alistair, on your history with aviation photography. Yeah, well, in my case, it was in my blood, basically, because my father was a pilot in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Oh. So that I like planes, kind of a given, really. <laughs> um, and I've been pointing some form of SLR at aeroplanes since oh, Christmas 86, I think, I got my first camera, which was a, a hand-me-down from my brother. Excellent. And Best kind. Yep. And, uh, and it was a full manual as well. Well, I think it had a light meter. That was it. And uh, yeah, so I've I've had the bug. I've still got the bug. I'll die with the bug as far as I'm concerned. I just love airplanes. So I love to go and watch them. And after, especially in the digital age, you know, when I finally um, snuck an, enough money out of the bank account to buy a digital SLR, you know, there's no reason not to go shooting. So yeah, I will be found some days, perhaps more in summer than in the winter, but <laughs> you know, it'll be a, a sunny Sunday and I'll think, nice day, 2.30 is about the busy period at the local airport, I'm just going to go out for a drive and I'll just drive out there and some days there'll be nothing, some days there'll be something interesting and some days I'll just you know, get some idea of, of some new way to shoot and yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that for me it's just, uh, I mean, the love of aviation is, is there all the time I see something on the news, I'll rush in to watch it you know, hmm. um, I'll read about it all the time, but for photography point of view it's sort of I'm going to go and do something now rather than, you know, I'm constantly out there photographing planes. So the it's the photography is a hobby, but the the love of aviation is just my life. So it's a bit so you're you in aviation is awfully like me in trains. Um so I because that's been my thing forever and ever and ever. So for, you know, railway photography has been the the thing I've been doing for for as long as I've had a camera to point at things. And so for me, it's been kind of strange to switch from an area that I have obviously a lot of experience with because I've been doing it for ages and then just to switch into something I haven't a bloody clue. Like, you know, I, I know which way an airplane flies, so I know that it's it's going to keep going forward <laughs> unless something goes terribly, horribly wrong. But really, it, it, the, the, the level of my ignorance as to what I was getting into was was extreme. And I may have foolishly thought that it would be easy and I have been proved completely, totally, and utterly wrong, which is pretty normal, I think, for anything. You know, when you see a well-executed air, um, photograph of an airplane, it looks easy. It isn't, I have discovered. It's almost impossible to get them to look perfect. Yeah, that's true of any subject. I mean, you know, Antonio just walks out onto a street and takes a photo of somebody, right? It's, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, but... it's easy. Yeah, only it isn't. Yeah, <laughs> It's not. <laughs> And I would I would argue the same is true of railway photography. Taking an an interesting picture of railways versus just taking a snapshot of a train are completely not the same thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I think for for context, I've sort of tried to break my my experimentation into this field into two. I've consciously decided I'm aiming at two different types of photographs. So I want to master the the perfect documentary shot. So if something interesting happens, like 
I mean, at the moment, I have an alert set on flight 24-7. Lufthansa have painted one of their Airbuses in a retro livery, and it comes to Dublin every few months. And I'm going to get an email in my inbox next time that thing is headed this way. And if possible, I'm going to get my backside down to Dublin Airport. And if possible, I'm going to try to get a nice picture of it. So I want to sort of master the art of, of getting that documentary photograph so that you can capture the fun thing. I mean, it's a pity... When President Obama visited Ireland a few years ago, I wasn't into this yet because having, you know, a picture of Air Force One coming into land would have been really quite cool to have. But I guess that's not to be. So that's definitely one thing. I I want to get the skills to do that reliably um, and to get good results. And that sounds easy, but completely isn't. I, I definitely want to talk to you about that at some point during our conversation. But at the same time, I also want to do somewhat more artistic stuff um so i i, I want to capture the, the the yeah sort of the the feel of aviation the, you know rather than a documentary photograph and in my railway photography i've tried to to focus on pictures of railways not pictures of trains and i, I want to huh. try something similar with aviation so i'm very much if you look at my Flickr stream, photographs will fall sort of into one of those two categories most of the time. Or sometimes I'll sort of straddle the two. But that's sort of what I'm, I, I'm consciously trying to do, trying to do something artistic and trying to get the skills to do the documentary stuff. Yeah, because for me, I mean, airplanes are just cool and I like looking at them. So I take photos so that I can keep looking at them. Mm. And I've evolved from, oh, look, airplane, click to slowly getting more uh, interesting angles and, and aspects on them. But a lot of the time, I'll still just fall back to, oh, look, airplane, click. <laughs> and sometimes you get lucky on that. But, you know, for example, the other day I, I popped out to the airport just because hmm. and I took 570 frames because right. I was just in a mood for trying to capture something a bit different. And I went different places and I you know, tried different angles and different timing and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And you know, 570 shots in a couple of hours. That's, so, that's a lot of processing, or a lot of pro- editing, I guess. Afterwards, as in, keep, keep, don't keep, or do you keep everything? I keep everything, um, but rather than decide what to throw away, I decide what to publish. So it's just the opposite hmm. end of the same problem. Yes. And I think I've published about. I'm just scrolling through them here. There must be fifty or forty to fifty odd. And, you know, a, a lot of them, um, I had a, a good day behind the lens that day. A lot of them were keepers, as it were. But because I was taking so many shots of, of one aircraft, it was like, well, that one's just a slightly better angle than that one. So I had, you know, two keepers, but one of them was the better angle to publish. And w- would you take the time to, to stack those for future reference or? No, I, I, I do. I have a fixed process now when I get my photos back. You know, the first thing I do is I get them on the computer and let the, the online backup whisk them up to the cloud so that they're safe. Um, and then I go through and I religiously keyword them. This is only true of aviation photos, I should add. Okay. I've not yet got this, this um, what should I say, critical about all my other photos. Well, I, I try to, but the thing with my aviation photos is I've got a very strict, not strict, very well-defined uh, keywording system, which I use. Mm. So I make myself keyword every single photo before I do anything else. And when I've done that, my reward is that I can go through and pick the cool ones and actually process them and publish them. 
And I guess so. Would you would you take the time on every shot to find the registration number of the plane, stick it into the metadata, figure out what flight it was on? I don't, flight numbers now. There's an idea. No, I, I, <laughs> I do put the registration. I do put the registration on because for me, it's a case of you know particular aircraft may have particular features or or, or you know of be of particular interest. Like you know this. Like I learned the other day. Um, not while I was doing anything to do with photography, that mm-hmm. uh, one of the aircraft that I photographed that day uh, is a former CIA uh, special ops aircraft. Oh, wow. That, that's a bit of history. So, you know, so having found that out, I could now go and easily search and say, find me photos of, of this particular aircraft. Whereas the flight number is just, you know, what it was doing on the day. And it's like, well, it's kind of interesting where it was going at the time, but... Kind yeah, of also I, not I, I do kind of find so I, I tend to go into flight radar flight twenty four flight radar twenty four dot com and actually just capture where it was coming from or going to because to me that's part of the story of the of the shot. But if I took five hundred frames, I may have a different opinion on that. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, you know, cause, because the identity of the, identity of the aircraft, you can generally just find the right photo of it and just read it off the side. Yes. Um, well, I I had a so I've only been doing this for a year, and I had a a strange moment where I suddenly realised that I had snapped a picture of a what is in Ireland now an infamous doomed helicopter. Um, unfortunately, uh, yes. we had. I mean, our Coast Guard do amazing work, and they have a fleet of helicopters, and unfortunately, rather unexpectedly, one of them vanished a few early March this year. And it now seems that they their data about obstacles was not really in compliance with reality. And their procedures for approaching things, their normal flight was basically to fly low and fast on the way in to come in for refuel. And that was a terrible combination because they encountered a rock that their computer didn't know was there. And I, you know, I was reading through the news, it was IEC something X. And I popped it into Lightroom and out popped a photograph of it that I'd snapped six months before. So yeah. Definitely value yeah. In, in, in taking the time to capture those registration numbers. And they are completely, totally, and utterly worldwide unique because they are global registrations of the aircraft. Well, yes and no. <laughs> Not quite. One of the the twists that I've added to my keywording lately is there you can have a registration on an aircraft in fact i saw one on that recent occasion there's uh an aircraft it's an air ambulance aircraft and it's just registered as zkmft mm-hmm. and as it went past i thought that's new i've not seen that before and i thought but that registration's familiar oh. and when i got home and i and i checked it out in lightroom what they've done is they've sold a prior aircraft which was a cessna mm-hmm. which was registered zkmft to the same company and when they've got rid of that, they've bought a Beechcraft and registered it ZKMFT. Oh. So the aircraft was new, but the registration wasn't. And that's actually relatively common. And I follow a number of local blogs that uh, follow the aviation scene, and they've everyone collectively seems to have come up with this this uh, method of writing it. If you're doing it in a, in a blog, you just put a two after it because it's the second aircraft to carry that registration. And if it's the first one, you don't put any number. Now, if it's you know if you've got the right controls for typography, you do a sort of a subscript two. But most people just now stick a two after it. So now my keyword is ZKMFT2. 
two. Ah. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily unique, and and that's just you know me going out there, you know, a year apart, mm. same location, same company, same role, everything, different aircraft. Huh, that is a bit weird. Okay. Yeah, it's annoying effort. to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> annoying. It it goes against my computer scientist brain that one. It does, doesn't it? Any, anyway, um, so I uh, sort of the first thing I want to focus on in our conversation is just that basically the I am at an airport. There is an interesting airplane either about to take off or about to land. Basically, there is an interesting airplane about. I would like to get a photograph of it. And so far, I've I've discovered a few things, and I would be grateful of any other tips you could add to what I've discovered so far in my year of messing around with this. So the first thing I've discovered is that pretty much all airplane liveries have the same shape. Something behind the front door going back towards the front of the wing and something on the tail fin. So whatever you do, you have to make sure that those two places are not obscured by anything or you'll have a picture that looks terrible. Because no one wants a picture of a Ryan er, or an Air L- or anything like that, or a Luft. <laughs> right, it looks absolutely awful if that's obscured. The tail fin is like the absolute iconic thing. So if that's obscured, you don't have a picture of an airplane either. So I've realized that you have to be really careful in your timing that the wing, which is pretty much always stuck to the plane, isn't blocking. So if it's slightly in front of you, then it's going to block the bit of the livery at the front. And if it's slightly behind, it's going to block the tail. So there's actually only a really small window where the livery looks right. And I would have always just taken it for granted. Like, if you see a good airplane picture, you can always read the, the full Air New Zealand or Brussels International or whatever. And you can always see the full tail fin. But it never occurred to me that that took a great amount of timing and effort. Because actually, most of the time, one of those two is obscured. Yeah, see, that, that's interesting because I, I, I get totally get what you're saying. And for the, the perfect shot, I would agree. But I'm just looking at my photos. A lot of them... It's cut off. And maybe that's because of the way I'm looking at it is I'm looking at an aeroplane and it happens to be you know, operated by Air New Zealand. Mm. But, for example, I'm looking at one here where I've gone in for a close-up crop just to get a, a more interesting angle. And I've got nothing behind the engine. So what it says on the side of the aircraft is R New Zealand. Okay, but that's an artistic um, sort of shot rather than... Yeah, yeah, if, that's true. If, if you're going for a documentary shot, you should try and get those key things in, and it is hard. It <laughs> and I'm is. just looking at one one shot now where I, I think I just got lucky that the wing perfectly avoids the areas that you just described. Um, but it's not something I actually think about because I'm taking photos of, of aircraft. And uh, to be honest, around here, and, and I suspect to some extent around Dublin, if you can see some of the aircraft, you can figure out what livery it's in. Yeah, but I suppose I'm, I guess I'm maybe, maybe it's just because at this stage I'm just trying to get a nice catalogue of a really good picture of each of the liveries that are doing the rounds here. So yeah, I, I sort of sure. want to get the the documentary shot of each of the liveries. And then the other little thing that, I, that, that then caught my eye once I figured that out was that any of these modern newfangled planes with the little extra wings on the end of the wings, they generally have logos on them too. So you should probably try to get that into the shot as well. So then you have three things you're trying to keep in the shot. And then if the light is low, the shadows will ruin it for you as well. So that, yeah. That's uh, difficult. And then I discovered that actually takeoff is way more difficult than landing to get good pictures on because yep. 
pretty much as soon as their wheels are off the ground, they're halfway between being up and down. And that looks really silly in a picture. Or at least I think. Uh, it, 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 unless you get, yeah, it, it, it's there's a much, much shorter window during takeoff. Because with landing, they're, they're basically on a three-degree glide slope. So they're mm. slightly nose high, which actually looks kind of good. They're on a flat trajectory. They're going slow, so it's easy to capture them uh, in a sharp photograph. Yeah, but on true. the other hand, it, it 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 you know for a documentary shot, that's that's probably the perfect time because you see it you know in operation in the air rather than just on the ground. It could just be sitting there. Yeah. But also, you can get a lot more drama at takeoff if you time it right. Yes. So it's it... yeah, documentary landing drama takeoff, and one of my favourite. Uh, aspects to get of an aircraft is with the undercarriage halfway up. Okay. Which you won't get, I hope you don't get on landing. Because <laughs> you're leaving it very late. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the kind of landing that makes the news. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm trying to remember, was it that Fly Blue or something in the US where the wheel was stuck sideways and they had to come in for landing anyway? Oh, uh, yeah. It's not fun to watch. Yeah, or the lot one in Europe where the gear was just broke it and they had to come in flat on their belly. Now, thankfully, in both of those cases, everyone survived and it was fine, but yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be there. I don't like that, yeah. Actually, the takeoff is, is particularly fun because the engines are obviously, at, if not full power, damnable close. And so you tend to actually get like a heat haze shooting out behind the plane, which obviously immediately gives you a feeling without any movement or any sound or any motion. It gives you a feeling of power, even in a still shot. And when they're coming in for landing, they don't have that sense of power because they're basically very gently falling. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in some of my photos, and I've yet to quite figure out how to deliberately capture it. But when you do, like if you see a you know a, a twin engine jet just just off the runway, and you can just see these big fat columns of of heat haze basically behind them it just looks like it's standing on that that column of air it's quite amazing to look at i've managed to get it pretty consistently by going a lot basically going down to the bottom of the runway and using a big telephoto to pull it back in and that seems to compress the heat haze yeah yeah i can imagine that but it looks really cool if you capture it from the side aha uh-huh. because I you just see these big fat the sticks basically play into it like would it be better on a cold day with the hot air hitting the cold air or something? Could be, and also that I suspect the light angle has a lot to do with it, and also what's behind. Like if you're just looking at foliage behind it, then you're not going to see it. But if you've got oh. clear sky, then you will. You know, it's. I think there's a yeah. lot of factors in it. Or I guess something with straight lines, like some sort of building with very linear yes. features, and it suddenly becomes all wavy. That's going to really catch your eye straight yeah. away. Lack of detail, I guess, is what we've just described. Yes, and if there is no detail, you won't notice the lack of detail. Yeah, <laughs> <Well>, yes. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so that's... I, I guess the other thing is obviously time of day. Um, if you... It, it, like, I, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but in Dublin there is only a very small number of physical places I have been able to find where I can get an unobscured view of airplanes without a fence in the way. Because obviously... There is a fence the entire way around Dublin Airport because, well, it's the 21st century and an airport without a fence would not be, it wouldn't work. Um, that's where all the terrorists had come. So there's only a few places where there is something that allows you to get high enough to see over the fence. So you, you're kind of limited to a handful of places. 
And obviously you can't move the sun and you can't move the runway. So if you want a well-lit airplane, you need to be in the right one of that handful of places at the right time. And you need to be aware of which runway is the runway in use that day. Yeah, it is the same here. Uh, Certainly for any airport of any size, I suspect that's true around much of the world. And at Wellington Airport, there are the spots that everybody knows who goes out there. Mm. Um, In fact, somebody posted online a a brilliant spotter's guide for Wellington the other day. It was really, really well done. So if I go there in the afternoon, I'll go to the west side of the airfield and that gives me certain locations. And if I go there in the morning, I go to the east side and that gives me certain other locations. But look around. But It it may be different in Dublin because you're, uh, I think, relatively flat there. Yeah. Whereas in Wellington, you know, the reason that the airport is there is because that was the flat area. And in fact, it wasn't entirely flat before they put the airport there. They sort of knocked off a hill or two and then built some more land to get enough flat space. And we still right. have the country, one of the country's shortest runways. So there's hills on either side. And that gives an interesting aspect as well because you can you can actually go, go up on hills quite some way from the airport. And, and the approach path, uh, when the wind's in the right direction, sort of comes past you. So you can get Ooh. some fairly decent shots, not actually at the airport. Um, That's an interesting idea. And where I live, when the wind is coming from the south, the aircraft come not quite over my house, and they're at about two and a half, three thousand feet. So I sort of look up underneath them, and that's kind of interesting. But I discovered recently a, a track that goes up to the um, the local farm, and that gets me up another hundred meters or so above where I am. Because right. the, the airport's basically at sea level. I'm about 100 metres above sea level. That gets me to 200, and it takes me to the other side of the flight path. So I've got a couple of photos from up there that are pretty interesting. It's still sort of underneath. but Much less underneath, know, yeah. Yeah, but even around the airport, especially with the, the landings, because they've got that low glide slope, hmm. you can go a wee way away from the airport and still get some decent shots. So, you know, not at the airport boundary. You could go probably even a kilometre or two. And if you can get some height that far out, then you can still get some fairly decent shots. Yeah, because like you say, it's a three-degree glide slope, so three degrees isn't very steep. No. And the other thing I've done too in Wellington is go about a kilometre sideways away from the airport and quite high. And you need a very long lens when you go a kilometre away. But... You know, again, it's not a documentary shot of the aircraft. I've got shots of aircraft where there's this tiny little thing in the middle, but I've got you know this massive airport with all the stuff going on in the background and this aeroplane taking off in the middle of it, and it actually looks kind of cool. So there's there's all sorts of different ways that you can get um, photos of aircraft without going and standing at an airport boundary fence and trying to shoot over the top of it or through it if you uh, if you're lucky. There's a couple of spots around Wellington where people have carefully teased out one of the holes in the fence to, enough to fit sort a lens. Sort of zoom lens width, yeah? Yeah, just. Um, so the, the, sort of think laterally about where you can go. I mean, it's certainly a lot of the best shots can be had by standing somewhere very close to the airport boundary because they're all, always, you know, at or close to ground level. Yes. Um, yeah. but, but the other thing is um, look for opportunities. For example, um, logging operations with helicopters or rescue helicopters that may come past or um, aerial top dressing is always interesting. Because okay, wait, 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 wait. Aerial what? Aerial top dressing. I wondered about whether this term was, was 
widely known. Well, it Basically, may be widely known, but I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Fertilizing the pasture on your farm with um, phosphates and, and the like oh. from the air. Yeah, we don't do that here. Our fields are so small that that, that would just not, not make sense. It was pioneered in New Zealand in the 1950s. And it's it's pretty much part of of the country now. It's and you you'll wake up in the morning if you if you're anywhere near some um, farm area and you hear this and you just just a characteristic sound of of an aircraft flying down valleys and doing steep turns and whatnot. So, so this, that, that's this is the same as crop dusting in the United States, is it? Same practice? Uh yes, yes, effectively. Um, except when I hear crop dusting, I imagine you know big wide flat fields of crops, whereas this is doing uh, hill country pasture. Well, that sounds even more demanding on the pilot. It's extremely demanding on the pilot, and there are some fantastic pilots who do it. Wow. That, but, that yeah, sounds, so it, yeah. It, it, you know, if you're driving around New Zealand and you're going through farm country, which is rather a lot of it, to be honest, um, the chances of coming across something buzzing around like that at low level are, are reasonably high at the right time of year. Um, so, you know, look for opportunities. Hey. And and also, you know, you talk about fences around airports. Mm-hmm. A lot of the little local airfields won't have massive fences around them, and they may still be quite busy as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, something I've found to be useful is to have a sort of... Um, to get to know your airport. So... Thanks to the magic of uh, flightradar24.com, which is, I mean, even with a free account there, you can see a lot. And what I have noticed is that there are, in theory, there are a lot of approaches to Dublin Airport. In theory, there are four runways in Dublin Airport. In practice, there is one approach used 80% of the time, one used 19% of the time, and none of the others are ever used I've seen yeah. one of them used basically once when there was two thunderstorms blocking the two normal routes in. So in Dublin, even when they have a tailwind, they will prefer to use runway 28. Like, I don't know what the logic for it is, but somehow they prefer to have the planes come in off the Irish Sea and land and take off into Ireland and then turn around and go back to Europe. They really, really, really do not like finding them the other way. To the point where usually they actually won't change the runway until someone aborts a landing. I, I saw it happen. <laughs> I saw it happen just this week. I was, I had a, you know, I had the, the zoom lens on the plane waiting for it to touch down. And next thing it went out of the top of my field of view. I was like, what? No, you were supposed to be going this the other way. And then all the planes disappeared. Like the whole stack was gone, but there were four planes lined up to land. Where are they all gone? And then I turned around and they were all behind me. Because they had changed to runway one zero, so basically they made them all do a big one eighty, go the whole way around the airport, and come in from the complete other side. And I was kind of surprised they were still using runway two eight because there was a a strong gusty wind coming out of the Irish Sea. But obviously they got away with it up until a point. But that means that if you're planning on going to Dublin Airport, don't don't plan to go when the light is good for a runway three four or. Uh, whatever the opposite of that is, runway 16, because the chances are you you won't see a single solitary airplane for months on end. They're going to be coming in on 28, maybe on 10. And so there are your two routes to scout out. Uh, on the other hand, at, at Wellington, 34 and 16 is all you got. 
but it's it's interesting you you talk about the wind. I mean, the wind is is the very obvious thing that that dictates which runway they use. But I've seen some fascinating conditions here. I'm about oh, how far away am I? Ten. I think it's there's a ten mile final approach that extends beyond us, so we're inside ten miles. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother converting that to kilometers like I should. Well, no, and, I mean, everything in aviation is in feet and miles and things, thanks to the, thanks well, to the British Empire. So we will go at miles. Yes. <laughs> and I'll look up in the sky and I'll see the, some clouds scooting along. And then I'll see an airplane go past and think, wait, what? He's going the wrong way. And the wind between where I am and where the airport is less than 10 miles away is probably not that different, especially being in a, in, a, in a coastal area. However, the wind between ground level and a few thousand feet can be quite often completely the opposite direction. Oh. And what matters really is the wind at ground level because that's yeah. when you are translating your, your speed in the air to your speed on the ground and you need to get those you know right to get your landing done safely. Yeah. So often they'll come screaming in with a tailwind and then as they get to ground level they hit a headwind and they land. And sometimes I'm I'm guessing they don't quite work out what's going on there and, and it's around the other way. So they might try something and then no, that didn't didn't work and turn around and go back the other way, especially if the wind is, is currently changing. Yeah. It gets really, really interesting. I would imagine if you have two layers of air, you then have a layer of turbulence in between, so you should get probably some shots of you know, a fair bit of wing wobble and crabbing and all sorts of odd angles as the planes go through that. My favourite uh, situation with wind is it affects, I suppose, photography, but just watching them, is when you're standing at the side of the runway, like right down one end, mm-hmm. and a- as the aircraft is approaching, you can see the far side of the aircraft because they're crabs so far into the crosswind that you can oh. actually see around the other side. It's a little freaky to watch because at, at some point they will be pointing right at you even though you're not, you know, sitting on the center line. And ah, that, that okay. can off, Because I tend to put myself on the center line and then watch to see that they're coming at me sideways but straight towards me. But it's got to be freaky yeah. if you're off the center line and their nose is pointing straight at you. Yeah. I'd, only for a short period of time because sure. it's sort of, you know, their center line crosses over you. But you can also get some really interesting um, shots there because as they touch down, the moment before touchdown, they're pointing into wind. The moment after yeah. touchdown, they're pointing down the runway and they've got to sort of haul it round. And, and when there's a decent crosswind, you can get some really, really interesting landings like that. Yes, yeah, so if you're standing at the at the bottom of the runway with the telephoto compressing all of that, yeah, you can get some very interesting effects. Like one, one out of three wheels on the ground and a big cloud of smoke from it because it hit quite hard. Yeah. Or one wing, substantially lower than the other wing. Yeah, that's a little scary to watch. Mm. I, 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 because they they're so fond of using runway two eight, they will land in fairly strong crosswinds before they switch to three four or one six. And on those kind of days, if I see the weather forecast is is going to be you know say thirty degrees off the center line of the runway, I will definitely make sure to get down to the airport if I can, because they're always going to be interesting landings, especially if you're standing there in the back of the center line. Yeah, you call it interesting. The pilots call it a day at work. Yes, that that is a fair point. <laughs> a, hard, a hard day at work, perhaps. And you always know you're you're in for an interesting landing when you hear the plane behind you and the engine is not one single note. The engine is constantly changing note. Yep. 
Yeah, that means that the poor yeah. auto thrust is a bit more, ooh, ooh, a bit less, ooh, a bit more, ooh, a bit less. And that means that it's going to wobble its way down to the runway and you're probably going to get a nice photograph. Um, Actually, another fun thing about if you can manage to find the place on the center line is that that generally means that if you have a telephoto, you can get like four or five planes in the shot at the same time because you'll have one coming in to land and you'll have a... So you'll have one taking off and a stack of them coming in or have just taken off or coming in to take... Hang on. Basically, they'll be coming into land. <laughs> both sides. They'll, they'll be lifting off in one way, and then they'll be coming in on the other way. So if you stand behind the runway, you'll get some straight ahead of the others in the air, and then some on the ground. You get a stack of them, basically, is what I'm trying to say yeah. very poorly. I, I know I've, I've uh, stood beside the runway at Heathrow and, and seen you know the stacks of lights in the sky. Mm. Um, certainly at busy airports, Wellington's not quite that busy that you ever see it in you know that frame of, of all these you know this big line of aircraft i mean they do come in at busy periods you know one after the other after the other but they can afford slightly longer spacing okay, whereas so Dublin, know, somewhere, I guess. somewhere like heathrow you you pack them in because you have to get them all in there's only so many hours in the day yeah well dublin is currently in the, in the process of building their third runway um which is going to be parallel to runway 28 and I, I guess we're close to capacity because you can pretty much always stand at the bottom of the runway and see the next three in the stack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're just and permanently stacked. Actually, that that makes me think of another aspect too. The, you know, having all the aircraft in a line and then taking off, etc. Different aircraft types. I, I, I don't know if you get much um, traffic other than the, the mid to large airliners at Dublin, but we get a lot of small stuff because there's a couple of you know, locations that are 15 minutes flying time away, so they take little small aircraft yeah, well, out we there. We tend to get a couple of little fancy, very expensive looking Learjet seems to be the only thing that's mixing. We, I, I don't think anything with the prop is allowed anywhere near Dublin International, Dublin, so EIDW, because... We have quite a few small airports in the vicinity, so the Western or there's a few of them around. So anything, any sort of small uh, propeller planes are going to go to those airports. But the corporate jets, the the Lear jets and the the various Cessna corporate jets, they do land into Dublin, and they're kind of they kind of take you by surprise because a small airplane nearby and a big airplane far away look awfully similar to each other right up until the last minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose Wellington's lucky, I think is the right word, that we have, um, like the local aero club, operate their, their you know, single-engine Cessnas in between the 737s kind of thing, which is... Well, that's fun. Uh, I, know, I know a chap who, who flies out there, and he, he says that it is kind of unique that you, you learn to fly in that context because then going anywhere is not really going to phase you, whereas if you learn to fly out in the in the sticks, you know, in some field in the middle of nowhere yeah. and then all of a sudden you have to deal with all these these huge jets around you but the other um aspect of that if, if you are at an airport that has that kind of mix hmm. is the point at which they mostly the point at which they take off but also the point at which they land on the runway mm-hmm. now wellington is it's not a long runway at all i mean we have one wide body aircraft come in and that's only because it stops off in canberra Right. Because it can't carry enough fuel coming out of Wellington to go any further. So it's not the super big aircraft, but we do get lots of the little ones. And with that short runway, all of the jets take not the full length, but you know, if, if there's little to no wind, they'll take pretty much the full length of the runway to take off. And same to land. But the little fellas, there's a little um, Cessna Caravan turboprop 
and that thing is built for flying around Alaska and you know in the bush and all sorts of things. So it's a very, very capable aircraft. And when they take off, you know, I'm standing about, I don't know, 20% down the length of the runway and he's taking off from the near end and he's off the ground before he gets to me. Yeah. So, (laughs) and sometimes they'll taxi out and you think, oh, he's coming down my end and then you'll turn halfway and only use half the runway. And it's like, oi, I was waiting for you. Um, What we get here, so we have a similar contrast, but it's just you move everything up the scale. So we don't have the little single prop, but we do have on the other end the Dreamliners and the, I haven't seen one of the biggest Airbuses, but we we get big transatlantics out of Dublin. But we also get the commuter planes. So they're still twin engine and usually with the wing over the top, but they're not very big. I mean, in fact, they're very, very tiny. So... They tend to come, so you're standing at the point of the runway where you're getting really nice shots of the, you know, the Airbuses and the Boeings taking off and they're just at the right height and you're just, everything's perfectly lined up. And one of these turboprop guys will come along and he will have turned on his heading before he gets to you. He won't just be off the ground, he'll already be heading yeah. towards Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah. Or or if he's landing, he'll, he'll have come in what seems like right over the terminal. Yeah, and then he'll have turned off the runway before he gets anywhere near you. Yeah, he'll turn off yeah. the first taxiway and he'll be halfway back to the terminal while the other guys will still be, you know, full reverse. Uh, but the I've fun thing, nice... though, is when they're lining up to take off, you can have very fun uh, sort of little little and large contrast shots. Uh, yes, yes. Now, particularly, what I kind of like is here, you know, Aer Lingus run both big and small planes. So you can have the same livery in Tinchi Winchi. So you can have, um, say, an Airbus A330 or an A340 that's about to head off for LA and taxiing either directly in front of or directly behind is a little AT or 90, which is on its way to Edinburgh, which, you know, holds like 30 people. And they're both in the line for the same runway with the exact same livery, but one of them could easily pass entirely under the wing of the other, I think, without touching anything. Yeah, you can easily lose the sense of scale, I've found, uh, with the aircraft. Because, for example, I, I don't believe this fact still, but I've seen it with my own eyes. Hmm. The diameter of the engine on a 777, a Boeing 777, is this, about the same as the diameter of the fuselage on a 737. Huh. And you okay. think, no, that can't be right. But I've got a photo that shows it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a little the scale astonishing. Is, is huge, yeah. Yeah, so um, it, it can be fun if, you, if you're if you lucky enough. I guess one of the things you have to be is ever vigilant because you can't control what's going to go where. But there are times when things will line up to give you a really fun composition that actually brings that scale into focus briefly. And it'll only be a fleeting opportunity. So I've I've learned to keep my eyes open all the time for chance alignments and things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just put a photo in the chat there of a uh, of a little Cessna flying over the top of what looks like over the top of a seven three seven, which I took for exactly that reason. I saw I saw the the what's the word confluence yes. coming up and thought, well, oh, I'll just time that. And the background's like, yeah, not ideal, but the positioning yes. of the two aircraft. Yeah, that makes up for it. It's, it's kind of strange. I'll I'll pop that into the show notes for people to look at. But it's kind of strange to see the big kangaroo tail of what looks like a big Airbus. And then this little Cessna, that really does look like its propeller's about to go and chew the arse of the kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a Boeing 737 on the ground. 
Ah, okay. It's very hard to tell a Boeing and an Airbus apart from anything other than the nose, I think. Although, actually, now that I see the winglets are completely Boeing winglets. The trick with 737s is look at the length of the undercarriage. It's oh, really it's short be... on a 737. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. Now that, you, now that you've said it, it's as obvious as anything. That thing's barely off the ground. Oh, very good. Yeah, oh, you'll you'll learn. You'll learn. I'll learn. Yeah, because <laughs> what, I, what I've noticed is the Airbuses don't have a way a, a vertical bit at the end of the wing. They have a bit that goes down and up, whereas the Boeing's have a bit that goes up only. Uh th- yeah. Don't stick to that because <laughs> both manufacturers are going to ruin that for you <laughs> with, with their recent changes. Okay. Well, in, in Dublin, ninety percent of the airplanes you see are either a seven three seven from Ryanair, which has wings up. Or an Airbus A320 from Aer Lingus, which has both sides. And then every now and then you'll see a bigger plane or a smaller plane. But the vast majority are, like, the absolute workhorses around here are the, the 737 and the A320. They, they just do so much work. Um, I think a related point to all of this is something I have discovered. So on the one hand, if alignments come up, you can take a great photograph and you have to be ready for it. But... What is permanently and perpetually your enemy, or at least it has been my enemy, and that has ruined many nearly interesting shots, has been mergers. An air, like an airport is such a busy place and there's so much going on that in a 3D world, it can look like a good shot. And as soon as you take it and it gets flattened into the 2D plane, what you have is a piece of junk because actually there's like a tail fin sticking out of the nose of another plane or a winglet poking out over something or... You know, a, a lamp post makes the plane look stupid or whatever. Like it's there are so many bloody mergers. So, do do, do you have any tips for how to avoid? Because the only thing yeah, I come up with is don't bother taking a shot once the plane is below the level of the terminal building. But other than that, I haven't really figured much out. Uh, no, I I tend to deal with that in post, as it were. As an I'll look at the shot. I think that's great. Oh. <laughs> but there's that um, and I had a classic one the other day that I thought you know what it's it's good enough that I'm going to publish it anyway where there's a light pole that is perfectly positioned so that the eye is instantly drawn to it oh yeah, I'm going to stick this in the show notes it, 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 it's like an extra <laughs> tail fin it actually looks like, like he has a transparent tail fin uh, a, a friend of mine said, oh, look, somebody's working out their geometry because they've, they've put the extra <laughs> side on the triangle. It's like, I, but it's a nice shot. <laughs> Publish it anyway. But it's just your eye is instantly drawn to this this merger. Well, it's not technically a merger as such. It's just they, they touch at well, just merger, the right, right points. I mean, they really well, they yeah, really touch absolutely perfectly with the tip of the tail <laughs> and the bottom of like. I mean, you couldn't have, if you had if you said to me I timed it perfectly, I wouldn't have believed you. Oh, it did. It is so perfect. Like that is amazing. <laughs> I absolutely planned that. Uh, the the worst of the mergers that for me though is where like the background and you can control this somewhat with with your camera parameters, but the background is. I mean, in Wellington, it's always going to be busy. If, if you want mm. sky behind the aircraft, you have there's only a few angles you can get, and it's yeah. usually not that close. So you're going to get background. But to me, the thing to avoid is avoid having the aircraft masking the horizon, or or worse still, a wing. Like if you're a, if you're in front or behind of the aircraft, having the wing along the horizon because it just gets lost. Ah. Now, when I say horizon, I'm not yeah. talking about you know sea and sky or field and sky. I'm talking 
you know buildings on the on a hill line or yeah, and yeah. sometimes you, you can get a local horizon between buildings and the the landscape behind and and you just lose the shape of the plane when that happens and that that's I, that really annoys me when that happens but, but it's like you, you said something just before which really resonated with me in 3D it looks okay because yeah. you're looking at the aircraft. <laughs> you don't notice what's behind in this. I mean, you know, you're capturing a moment in time. It's not, um, what's the word I'm looking at? It's, it's not a planned and positioned, everything like that. It's like I'm going to pick a, t- a moment in time when the angles look great and you have to kind of think about the background, but you can't always think about the background. Well, no, Sometimes because the planes don't behave Sometimes you're just going to push themselves. the shutter. Like, I... I found a place where I can get sort of Dublin Airport has this massive green sign on the top of the old Terminal 1, which says, you know, Bolya Ahaklia Dublin. So in other words, Dublin in, in, in the Gaelic language and in English. And it's these huge big letters. And to me, that's I'm home. Like every childhood holiday ended with seeing that great big green sign. So I really wanted to get that into a photograph. But you actually can't control exactly where the pilot is going to, you know, pull back on the stick. So you, you no. find the perfect spot, and while you're setting up your camera, a plane takes off in exactly the right place. And then the next one comes <laughs> hurtling down the runway, and he goes too far. And then the next guy comes along, and he pulls up a little bit too soon. So you can be standing there for quite some time. But eventually, I've just popped into the show notes, one where finally everything is pretty much lined up. And I discovered after getting the shot wrong a few times that if you just wait long enough that the plane has cleared the top of the building, you don't get any mergers, and you actually get the effect I was looking for, and it also, I managed to get the jet things you were talking about way, way, yeah, way back. Yeah, really, really well. So, And that was actually a cold December day, which makes me think that because that day, pretty much every shot I took had the, the clear jet wash, and I'm, I'm thinking December Irish weather may have may have helped. And you've nicely, with the jet wash, blurred out that bright green aircraft in the background. All those Aer Linguses, yeah. <laughs> And the other nice thing, of course, is that it was it was a visitor, right? Because it's there's so many Aer Linguses and so many Ryanairs that come in out of Dublin that, to me, the interesting thing is always the visitors. In this case, it's the British Airways. And actually, BA are polite enough not to fly either a Boeing or an Airbus, which is even more strange. They fly Embraer jets in and out of Dublin. So it's like a triple whammy. It's like it's not an Aer Lingus, it's not a Ryanair, it's not a Boeing, and it's not a it's not an Airbus. It's like extra cool. <laughs> Yay. The one thing you can do to help um, alleviate any background, um, and including mergers to an extent, but not entirely, is shutter speed. And there's, there's the one, there's, Yeah, there's one photo I took, and I, I don't know why, because normally I get quite fast shutter speeds, and you know, because I'm, I find that that just gets me sharper photos. Mm. But there was one photo I took and I don't know why the parameters on the camera changed. I'm sure I wasn't thinking about it. So I either bumped something or there was something about the light or, or something, but for whatever reason, the shutter speed slowed down enough that there was a beautiful pan blur behind it. And I panned it perfectly. And the aircraft is as crisp as, and the background has all got this beautiful motion blur and you don't see the background. You don't see it at all, but it's very busy background. So just yeah. that, that little bit of pan blur uh, completely deals with the problem of detail in the background. But you have to be confident with your panning. Well, now, practice, I've, right? I've spent, practice, 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 yes. and a bit more practice. I've spent a lot of time um, 
panning, especially you know, if I go to an air show, and we haven't, we've just talked about um, airports so far, mm. but if you go to an air show, then there's a few other factors come into play. And you know, being able to follow the aircraft with your lens is one of the reasons why I'm sticking with a, an SLR format camera because I can look at the aircraft and the camera just happens to be between me and it. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's, and there's and that to me that. helps with yeah. the... Yeah, whereas my first digital camera, which was a you know a sort of a point and shoot in two thousand and four, so not a great one either. I didn't spend a lot on it. When you push the shutter button, the screen, which was either you know in a, in an eyepiece, but it was still a screen, or on the back, went black for about uh, just over a second. Oh, it's really hard to keep your tracking solution on the aircraft oh, when the screen goes black. <laughs> Yes, I, I mean technically the shutter blocks your view for like one two thousand and one you know one hundredth of a second or whatever you're currently shooting at. But yeah, okay. But this was a slow camera. Yeah, that's a whole <laughs> so different. I, I, I ended up using the screen on the back, and I'd put the strap around my neck and push the camera out against the strap to to form a you know a steady right yeah um, pose, and then I would watch the the airplane on the screen and also position the camera so that the airplane was just above the top of the camera. Right. So then I could keep the tracking solution by looking at the airplane over the camera. <laughs> it That's a rangefinder of sorts. Uh, sort of, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so if, if you can get good with your, your tracking, you can lower that shutter speed and get that even just a little bit of blur in the background. Yeah. Um, but you do have to track it right. And I have some photos that I've never figured out taken at air shows where – I, I guess it must be rotation blur, but the middle of the aircraft is in focus and the tail and the nose or perhaps the tail and, and the tip of a wing are out of focus or blurred at least. Well, you, I think you get that on any motion where the plane is off axis to you because the nose is coming at you at a different rate to the tail. I know on trains, you'll only, if you have a train coming by you as an angle, so you're turning and following you're only ever going to get one sharp spot. And so if you're doing railway photography, make sure the sharp spot's on the cab. But the one thing I figured out with um, my aviation photography is, because obviously you, know, you can use aperture to help increase the depth of the field. Yes. But what I worked out was, certainly with my camera and my typical lens, I plugged it into one of those depth of field calculators and I said, okay, in my typical shooting conditions, I'm going to be you know this far away at, at the closest. Hmm. And the best, closest spot to the runway at Wellington Airport, I can set any aperture I like, and the minimum depth of field I'm going to get is 25 meters. Which is so, a lot. Well, which is hmm. a lot. It is it's a lot. It's not big enough to get... Has, yeah. Yeah, the, the near wing of a plane, yeah, I mean, it's slightly the, less than half of that's going to be ahead. Yeah, it's enough to get the cockpit yeah. with plenty to spare. So the short answer is in most situations with with aircraft photography, unless you've you know, got things taxiing on the ground right up close to you, hmm. you can sort of set the aperture depending on the needs of, you know, if you need extra light, then open it up. Or in, the, in my case, my lens is not terribly sharp below f11, so I always put it up to f11 and shoot there. Yeah. But, you know, the the depth of field doesn't um, really come into the equation because the aircraft is almost always smaller than the depth of field unless it's a very large aircraft and very close. Yeah, and Chris, you're far away. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I've just popped into the chat room sort of the, the best outcomes of my experimentations with Pandler. So I basically decided one of the days 
And every time an Aer Lingus or a Ryanair came in, I would practice my pan blurs. And every time some other company came in, I'd try to get a good shot. And <laughs> it was actually quite a good idea because by the end, I think I spent two hours. By the end of those two hours, I was nailing the pan blurs pretty consistently. Um, now, I guess I'd have to practice again in the future. But to the stage where a Lufthansa came in and I was like, well, I'm doing you as a pan blur. And it actually worked. But yeah, no, the the best one though is the Ryanair one I've popped into the show notes. I think that is my most successful plan, pan blur to date. And I'm rather pleased with it. Yeah, but the other thing you have to consider too with um, shutter speed and aircraft is with jets, do whatever you you need to creatively. Yes. With propeller aircraft, if you if you set the shutter speed too fast, you can stop the propellers. And some people hate that. I don't hate it, but I do like to see some movement. Um, it's a bit you know, weird. In the propellers. Because it looks like because if it's actually com- Yeah, if it's completely stopped, it it does look a bit weird. And it's even worse with helicopters. Um, <laughs> and that's that's where takeoff versus landing can help can help because you've got full power at takeoff, so you've probably got much higher RPM than when they're landing. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, you couldn't possibly so, stop. Well, I'm sure you could, but it would take much more effort to stop a, a liftoff propeller than a landing propeller. You can do it, but it's it's your um, crikey, that's a long URL I've just put in the in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I I do like to see some movement, and it's pretty hard to get no movement on most aircraft propellers. Like I, I tend to keep my shutter speed around no slower than one two hundredth, and that gives enough of a blur. But sometimes you can slow it down, and you get sort of a you know a nice sort of disc, but. You have to slow it down quite a lot to get a full disc, as it turns out. So yeah, because then, then you start then you start risking surprised. motion blur. I, I was very surprised at, at how how unintentionally well I managed to stop the turboprops. I didn't mean to, um, but when I got home, like, oh, that's a really sharp propeller. <laughs> well, but sometimes I think that adds to the shot because. Some of the the modern turboprops have interestingly shaped propellers. I mean, in, you know, in the old days there was four straight blades, and it was like that's a propeller. But some of the newer ones have six sort of scimitar shaped blades, so it actually looks quite neat if you can see them individually. Yeah. Now, thankfully, in this, I just popped a, a one into the show notes. Basically, it's just completely stopped. Like even if you zoom in all the way, they're just they're oh wow, sharp. you have. Uh, What's your thank- shuttle speed on that? Well, according to the oh, exit, two and a half thousand. Yeah, it was a sunny day. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I didn't think it would, but yeah, it most certainly did. Um, thankfully, the plane is at enough of an angle because it's climbing out of the runway that it it still looks like an airplane flying. Um, and he has his wheels up, which I guess helps with that illusion as well. But yeah, that was not my intention at all to to freeze the propellers, and I was very surprised that I managed to do so with so little effort. Even the shadow of the propeller is quite sharp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I froze them good and proper. <laughs> yeah, one twenty-five hundredth of a second is, yeah, I, I don't think I would ever get that fast because I noticed you had your lens wide open there and, and you have a shorter lens than me as well, so I'm always up at F11 for sharpness. Yeah, I, I think so I, I should get into that habit. I'm so used to, I do so much of my photography at dusk, I, I tend to get very used to fighting against light but actually when i'm at the airport it's usually really good weather so i need to get out of that habit i think you're right i need to 
default the lens to f11 or at least f8. Oh, what's the old story? F8 and be there? Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite catchphrases, all right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because similar shots, even actually of a, of, a similar, of a similar model of plane coming into land, when obviously they'd probably be going slower, but when I was catching it at dusk, no problemo. Uh, we got nice propeller blur without really trying, because of course it was dusk, and well, that's, that's sort of what happens when you go at dusk. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you mentioned early on about, you know, hearing or seeing that there was an interesting aeroplane coming and cycling out to see it. I was sitting at home one evening, uh, like, you know, watching the TV in the, in the evening and somebody tweeted on, on Twitter and said, oh, look at this. And they had a shot from Flight Radar and there was a, an aircraft, it was north of Auckland. And it was showing, I, mean, I was sort of thinking, oh, where's it going? And after a while, you can see that it's not going to Auckland because it's not losing altitude or the direction it's going. And then somebody said, oh, it's on its way to Wellington. I thought, hmm, yeah, why not? Looked at my watch, thought, oh, it's going to be pretty low light. Probably, you know, somebody finally come up and said, oh, it's due to land at this time. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just before sunset, but no, we can do it. It ended up arriving uh, 10 minutes after sunset. 10 minutes, 5 minutes, something like that. Yeah. That was everything I could make my camera do. It was I, I had to, it was a it was a unique aircraft which which has since been back twice. Um but at the time it was a unique aircraft to Wellington both in uh who it was operated by and the type because we just don't get them in here. Yeah. And I was like I'm going to capture this and the getting that shot I ended up just sacrificing my some of my usual um, parameters and saying, you know what, I just want the shot. So I've got the I've got my short lens on. I've got it wide open. I've got the ISO ramped up massively. I had to deal with the noise. Um, I wound the the lens back almost fully wide, you know, which I wouldn't yeah. normally do. I'd normally try and get the aircraft filling as much of the frame as possible to get the detail. And I had a shutter speed that I well, wouldn't normally countenance. I mean, and I had to pan it. Yeah. There's a pound blur on that, whether you meant to or not. Obviously, the shutter speed was so low, that was going to happen. And there's a lot of post-processing on that photo, I can tell you. But, you know, sometimes you just have to, as you say, it's a, it's a documentary shot as such. I, I wanted to get the shot of this aircraft and, you know, make it clear and obvious what it was and where it was. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the rules get thrown out the window when you have virtually no light. The sun was below the horizon for sure. Well, I have actually had great fun in Dublin intentionally when the sun is is below the horizon because, you know, obviously I wasn't going out to get documentary shots. But if the sun is setting, it can light up the clouds and stuff in very fun ways. So actually some of my favorite not documentary shots are after sunset. Um, I think I'm going to just stick one into the show notes here. But basically it's... I mean, you can hardly see the airplane, but it's still one of my absolute favorite shots I've taken. Because um, you have this tiny little little uh, corporate jet coming in with these huge, foreboding-looking, frothy sky behind it. Just, I don't know, it's always fun. Yeah, and, and there's, there's clearly noise in there, but that almost adds to it, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind a bit of noise if it's, you know, artistically Uniform. acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Uniform, yeah, exactly. If if it doesn't if it doesn't distract, it doesn't doesn't really bother me. Um, and obviously, evening light gets much nicer than you know um, harsh midday light. Because there's something to be said. But then you're fighting against everything else, of course, because now you've lost so much light. But it's still fun. Um, 
do I notice we're coming up to an hour here. Um, do you have any 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 sort of tips for for moving to the more artistic? So the the only thing I've discovered so far is bad weather often means cool photographs, even if that's not very bicycle friendly. Um, and anything you want to throw into to, to the mix or to help people who want to something a bit more creative rather than just rather than documentary. Yep, um, I've, I've got a few notes here on on that side of things. The obvious shot is the whole aircraft side on, and, and that is your documentary shot, and and that can actually be artistic. You know, it's a nice looking aircraft and a you know, good background, maybe a bit of pan blur. It can look really, really nice. But after, oh, you know, I've got over a thousand published photos taken at Wellington Airport, so I'm kind of looking for some for new angles, as it were. Yeah. And so sometimes on a go, it's like you said with your your Ryanairs and your Aer Lingus. So I'm I'm going to experiment on these. I've been doing the same sort of thing. And one of the things is if you're close enough and you have a long enough lens, try getting parts of the aircraft. Now, I tend to focus on the nose of the aircraft because that, that kind of works for me as it's it's still obviously an aircraft and you can usually identify it from the nose. Yeah. But sometimes I've got a tail and I've seen other people's photos where you can't really see what the aircraft is, but you've got a real tight crop on you know, the engine hanging under the wing, the flaps hanging out, the gear crunching into the ground and a cloud of smoke, you know, it's, and it's an action shot. That's not, here's a picture of an aeroplane, it's here's a picture of an aeroplane landing. And it, yeah. what aeroplane it is, is is almost incidental to the shot. It's showing the action of all the bits hanging out of the aeroplane and the, you know, the crunching into the ground and the smoke and all that sort of stuff. So you can aim for the feel of it and to me some of the feel of a landing aircraft is is that that nose sitting a little high just above the ground so i've got shots of just the front third of the aircraft for example with that nose up attitude yeah something i yeah. haven't been able to do on purpose um but I, it seems to happen if if basically if i come to the airport close enough to sunset the the, the light will be in the pilot's face which means that even though they're in a cockpit they'll actually oh, yeah. be visible and then, if possible, I want to get zoomed in, but I, I haven't managed to get a good zoom in and have the light actually catch them, so you can actually see the pilot. That's what I want. I really want a shot of, you know, the pilots doing their thing, either landing or taking off, because I think that adds sort of a fun aspect to it. But I haven't, I haven't succeeded in getting a. Pro- oh, there you go. You just, you got one there. I can, I can count the bars in his shoulder. Yeah. You can actually see some of the passengers as well. Oh yeah. I took one photo I took one photo of one of the um local Aero Club aircraft landing and you know, I got nice and close on it and now I can't crop in on, on that aircraft because it's just too small. But I got as close as I could on it and it was all in, in good late afternoon light coming in from the side. And my friend who belongs to the Aero Club said, Oh, that's so and so. He could he recognized the wow. pilot from the shot. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to be pleased with that. Yeah. Um so that, that's one thing you can do, and you can see that it's pretty close to the ground, even though the the, the actual runway is not in the shot there. But yeah, there's there's a groundy the houses in the, in the background. background. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that gives a sort of an action, you know, aspect to the photo, and and, and I can still identify the aircraft entirely from that, yeah. because you can see the letters on the on the undercarriage door there. Yes. So yeah. that's one of the one way of things. Right. Is, so you're saying the nice nose up attitudes. When they're coming into land, one of the weirdest things about the regional Erlingus planes, the little turboprops, I think they're just so good at flying that you actually have to point them at the ground. 
They yeah. come in with a nose down attitude as if the pilot is aiming for the ground. It is yep. the weirdest thing to watch in real life. And I, I, I've taken pictures, but it's never quite caught the feel of it when you're actually standing there watching it. It looks, you know, 20 jets have gone by and they all have that very gentle nose up. I'm wafting in for a gentle touchdown. And then this guy comes and he's pointing his airplane at the ground. And it just looks so wrong. And I, I haven't quite managed to capture the feeling of how wrong it looks. But it, it's so weird to see them pointing their nose at the ground. So I don't know if you can get any height there, but I think if you were a, you know, higher up, you'd probably get a better sense of that because you'd see the ground that it's pointing at rather yeah. than something way in the background. You certainly have to get the ground in the shot. Dublin Airport, unfortunately, is it sits atop of a large plateau. There's, there's nothing. Yeah. It's a very, very logical, very sensible place for an airport. Like There are no obstacles on any of the approaches to Dublin Airport. There are no hills. There are no tall buildings. The pilots have a, a, a fantastic, you know, they come in off the Irish Sea and the ground and the airport rise up to meet them. I mean, it's the perfect place for an airport, but it, there is no high ground. There, there's nowhere. And to any, to anybody who's listening, do not consider using a drone to oh, get height. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Don't. Thank you for saying that. I mean, it should go without saying. But you yes, it should be, be arrested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, was it in London they had an incident where they think an airplane ingested one? Oh, we've had them here as well. Ingested, I hadn't heard that. But we've we've had near misses here. Yeah, Some, was... One of them at 4,000 feet. What? <laughs> exactly. Wow. I want to know what this drone is, apparently. That's quite the drone. Um, no, there's a BA flight out of London last year where the pilot is not sure whether he ingested a crow or a drone, but he thinks it might have been a drone. But basically something hmm. black went bloop, through his jet engine as he was coming into land. Ouch. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so other ways of getting more artistic is uh, what I described before is go to different places. Uh, if, if you can, if there's a road around the airport, you can often go and stand uh, effectively on the runway centre line, but obviously not on the runway. <laughs> yes. Um, wide-angle lens, very, you know, if there's a perimeter road that you can get access to, well, the wide-angle lens directly underneath so you get the, the, the curvature of the wide angle. That can be spectacular, especially with larger aircraft. Oh, um, so just tends to favor the large silhouette jets, against I think. the sky as they're coming in. Uh, if you get enough light, you can you can get full detail on them. But, um, yeah, it could be interesting at, um, at dusk or dawn as well. Oh, let's um, give that a go. I never even thought of that because I've stood at the bottom – because there is a road at the bottom of, of runway 28 and – you can get the view, you know, down the landing lights, down the runway. But I've always stuck a stonking big telephoto on. I should Next time I should stick the wide angle on and have some fun. Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, th- there's a spot you can go to at Wellington Airport, which it, it kind of signs that say keep out, but people walk their dogs through there all the time. So I'll go down there. And if something like large comes in, I'm actually, I go snap, 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 snap. Hold on to my hat. Because <laughs> it's that close. That, and it's actually an adrenaline rush that's that close. But wow. you can get some fantastic shots. I mean, my wide angle won't actually get all the wings in on some aircraft there. But so okay. you, you can also get some you know dead head-on shots that are pretty close up as well from, from slightly below. Um, but another thing you can do, uh, you know, it, obviously rather than side on, get it as it's approaching so that it's a more uh, front three-quarter view or a rear three-quarter after it's landed maybe. Yeah. Um, can look quite interesting, especially as it's touching down. And that's a key thing for me for getting action shots is the 
transition points. So, uh, you know, at liftoff, the, if you get a shot where the wheels are literally two inches above the ground, it looks quite spectacular. Yeah. Um, or the next part after that is as the gear starts going up, you know, you can see the, the, the landing gear halfway up. You can that, that gives you a sense of, of action. And yeah, going the other way, happening. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's a tra- yeah transition. Going the other way, you can catch a, a touchdown. You'll get the tire smoke as as the wheels you know spin up to match the speed of the aircraft. So if you can capture that little puff of smoke coming out the back of the tires, if you if you're really good and you can get it just as it's coming out, it'll be a lot denser, and that looks I've, a bit cool. I spent a lot of time on the same day I was trying my pan blurs trying to get those. They're bloody hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of practice that I, I haven't nailed the timing on that yet they, they, they don't either that or take a lot of shots I suppose rapid fire that's one way to go yeah and the other one um, is shortly after touchdown or in the case of Wellington like milliseconds after touchdown uh, they will pop the spoilers up on the wings the reverse thrust will go on and the aircraft will take on a sort of a haunched look as the uh, Digs its brakes nose take in. you know yeah take hold and, and it tries to slow down. I mean, at Wellington, you've got to do that straight away because there ain't that much runway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, capturing that, especially from behind where you can sort of see, uh, I suppose in front as well, but I, I just tend to like that shot from behind where you can see just everything hanging out as this damn thing's trying to slow down before it goes off the end of the runway. Yeah, because it'll have full flaps because they've come into land. The spoilers have gone up on top of the wing, so the wing is as thick and chunky as it can possibly be. Depending on the style of the engine, the reverser might be really obvious, or it might not. Uh, yeah, some of the older ones used to have like a, a clamshell on the back that, that opened up like petals. And yeah, that they was were really fantastic. Obvious. Yeah, I love those. The, the, the 737s just... are terrible. It's just the, the cowling slides a little bit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think A320s have little things that pop out, but they're not really obvious. Some of, them, uh, some of the liveries a... paint them red, so when they're popped out, you have these red gills sticking out of the engine. Okay. So sometimes they're obvious, but yeah, in general, they're not. They're nothing like those big cups. Well, yeah, like you described from the older planes, the, the, the massive big scoops that came in and literally bounced all of the jet thrust forward. Yeah, and the turboprops are well, whatever because they tend not to have all of that gear. They just reverse the pitch on the propellers, which gives them an amazing stopping capability. But photographically, it's nothing. Yeah, it's a blur. Oh even, look, the blur is going the other tell. way. <laughs> You can't even tell, though. Exactly, yeah. So that's okay. that's the sort of things that I've been doing is just different places to get different angles, you know, get underneath, get above. There's there's some hills quite close to Wellington Airport, and I've got shots where there's no sky. Now, the aircraft is still clearly well off the ground, and there's no sky in the shot, and that looks quite fascinating. Get underneath where it's all sky, even when it's really close, um, in front, behind, and with, yeah, stuff happening. I guess play with clouds is the other one I'd say. If they're around, try use them in your composition. And actually, your tip of not always sticking on the great big zoom lens, that, that's one that's really registered with me now because I've just realized that every single photograph I have taken has been with my great big stonking zoom. All of them, 100%. So I need to change that. The, va- the vast majority of mine are too. Yeah, and, and I would only tend to put the wide on when I'm going for that you know super close shot. Um. But my zoom, uh, the wide end is 55, so it's sort of a normal lens at that length. But yeah, it's not the distorting wide angle. And I tend not to go for the the you know in the large shots with a little airplane in the middle, uh, except when I went you know 
a kilometer away from the airport and then I needed the zoom to get even that in. So, but yeah, certainly experiment with your lenses, but generally speaking, you need a fairly long zoom, especially if you're going for the documentary shots, because they tend not to let you sit on the side of the runway. No, they're not. They don't like that very much. Yeah. And the planes tend not to go very slowly. So you need need to be on on the ball. Uh, And yeah, zooming in. So at the moment I'm doing everything with an 18 to 250, but it's, so in my case, it's even, even more dumb because an 18 to 250, that's pretty wide. It's just that I've left that 250, basically. So I've just basically gone in there and went twist, like dunk, lens sticking out all the way, ready for shooting. So I I need to stop doing that. Yeah, so you, you can just, you could actually sit down there on that road at the end and get the long ones of, of, you know, the nose coming straight at you. And then as it goes over, you just crank it back to 18 and get the yeah dramatic wide angle from underneath. That's a really good point. That's right. That's it. You give me my shooting list for the at least the start of my next visit to the airport. And in your gear list, a tight-fitting hat if you're going to wear one. Uh, why, the cycle helmet. That has a strap <laughs> under my chin. Yeah, good. <laughs> if it lifts me and the helmet, then I'm in very big trouble. Yeah, unlikely to do that. Although there is a just a little sidebar here. There's a really cool effect that I've I've heard sometimes when I'm out out there, usually in summer. Is it the aircraft will go over you, the jet will go over you, and it'll land. And then after it's hit the runway and started slowing down, you hear this like a whip crack in the air. Huh. And it's the it's the turbulence that it's left in the air behind it, and it is scarily far behind the aircraft, and it is scarily loud. Wow! You just hear this. Whoosh, you know, for about a few seconds, and it's like, what? Now, first time I heard it, I thought, what on earth is that? Was he dragging a cable? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it 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 does actually literally sound like he was, you know, dragging a cable, or he's he's caught a cable, and the cable's snapping back, or something like that. But it's it's just the turbulence in the air. It's freaky. So those are those same wake turbulences. I'm guessing that if the weather is just right, you see the little swirls of cotton wool off the wingtips. Yeah, wake turbulences. Um... You'll often see smaller aircraft sit at the end of the runway for a while after if, if they're going behind a bigger one. Yeah, because they don't want to the, follow the air gets, Yeah, the air gets disturbed behind them. But it's actually, um, if you listen to the air traffic control, they'll say, you know, one minute delay for wake turbulence kind of thing. But it's actually, it'll make the news for reasons uh, up at altitude, like one recently where somebody wrote off a business jet by getting caught in it. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. Badly. And also, if you're listening on air traffic control and you hear the word heavy, that tells you there's a big stonking plane leaving lots of turbulence all around it. Yeah, because the bigger aircraft are the the worst problem. And actually, going back to what I was saying earlier about the the smaller aircraft lifting off earlier, Hmm. one of the reasons they might do that is if they're behind a heavy, if he lifts off earlier, he's actually on a higher flight path and wake turbulence sinks. So if he can stay above the, the flight path of the jet ahead of him, he can actually go a lot sooner. Oh, of course. And that actually, so thinking about what I've observed in Dublin, what you tend to see is the jet comes screaming along, uses pretty much all of the runway and heads straight for quite a long time before he turns left or turns right, depending on where he's going. Whereas the little turboprops that come up behind, they lift off halfway up the runway and they turn very quickly. Mm-hmm. Which immediately well, means clean air. Yeah, part of it's because they can, but the lifting off earlier just gets them above. So while they're on the runway, they've still got the problem. So that's some delay. Yeah. But once they lift off, they're actually technically higher than the jet was. 
so they're yeah. not subject to it. Interesting. And it is, it is that, fun yeah. to listen. It is fun to listen to the radio. I actually have a, a handheld scanner that I take out there sometimes, and if you listen for long enough, you'll hear some very entertaining things said on the radio, as well as getting to know the lingo. Yeah, and it, so I started listening to it just because I'd, I'd read the article on Aviation English, and it was actually really quite fun to get to know the lingo. But a lot of them do actually have a sense of humor, which, which is interesting, because it, it's such, not sparse, it, information-dense communication usually. They're, they're, Spartan maybe is the word for it, but every now and then they'll throw in that little bit of humor. Just to, you know, it won't be long because there's not, you know, there's not much airtime, but they'll get something in. Yeah. And sometimes you hear people being told off. That's also entertaining slightly if they haven't been too bad. Oh, well, actually. <laughs> That's a story for another day. <laughs> okay. No, I think one of the funniest things I heard, well, I'd say funny, it's funny in context, I guess. Um, it's like, you know. Dublin City is, is sort of famous because it has these two massive big smokestacks that we call our Twin Towers. They're, they're just big, ugly smokestacks, but everyone loves yeah, them to pieces. I saw those in one of your photos. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're just iconic of Dublin, right? Th- those two smokestacks are just, they're they're Dublin port. Um, and you see them as you come into approach into Dublin. So most people who think of coming home would think of the two, the two stacks. Um, and there was something going on in Dublin and they had to divert um, a German flight to Western Airport, which is a small little pokey thing near Maynooth. And it doesn't have half of the equipment that Dublin Airport would, probably doesn't even have a quarter of the equipment that Dublin Airport would. So air traffic control, it was like the instruction was follow the River Liffey for so many miles. <laughs> and in a strong German accent... Uh, you know, so, so the the Irish officer said, "You know, are you familiar with the landmarks? You know, um, you need to you need to fly by. You know, up to the he goes, yeah, I know the pigeon house, which is the name of these twin towers, is the pigeon house. And the guy in the, the, in a very strong German accent was perfectly happy to fly these really Dublin landmarks and follow a river to his runway. It was, it was bizarre, but interesting. Yeah, that's a pilot who's into his job. He learns up the local areas. Yeah." I guess it just stood well to him because he was probably a lot less bamboozled than most pilots were. Anyway, uh, anything else you want to throw in before we wrap up, Alistair? Or... Um, th- just one thing that, that I discovered very recently that, that was a new learning for me. Um, I mean, we haven't really talked about air shows. They're immense fun to go to. Mm. Uh, but you, you end up in different situations with your photography there. Sometimes you get, you know, quite fast aircraft. They're not landing or taking off. They're just yes. whizzing by, and and that presents different um, challenges. Although really, it's all a variation on what we've spoken about. Like high shutter speeds can be handy when it's going 400 miles an hour and it's not that far away. Um, and you know, you're going to have the the issues of lighting. The the best air shows, the um, display line runs north south, and they put you on the correct side of it. Right. Um, oh, sorry, not north, south, east, west, so that the, the midday sun will swing around you know, from one side to the other, but behind you and lighting up the aircraft. Um, but what I discovered, I went to an air show nearby on Easter weekend, and for the first time ever, I bought a gold pass. Now, my brother-in-law was over from the UK, and he was going, and he often gets gold passes, so I was like, ah, treat myself and have a gold pass. Now, what yeah. a gold pass means is you get the special enclosure, and there's you know, you get food that other people, you know, the plebs can't get to, but that wasn't that great. <laughs> but you get grandstand seating. Now, grandstand seating is good because if you've ever been to an air show, one of the problems you deal with is getting a good spot at the fence line. Right. 
where you're not obstructed for taking photos. And so this was grandstand seating, and the lowest level of the seating was a good uh, five meters off the ground. So it was great. Oh. Don't get tired standing for so long. Don't have to jostle for a spot. You just pick a seat and you know, put your gear on it. And when you go away, one of your, your mates will be there anyway to save the seat. And you can just sit down the whole show. And at the end of the day, I was not tired at all. And the next couple of days, I looked at my photos and I had a heck of a lot of pan blur on the aircraft. Huh. If you're going to pan, stand. Oh. I found that I cannot pan reliably when I'm sitting down. Certainly not stuff, the fast stuff that's going, you know, 300 and something miles an hour. Nah. Got yeah, one or two sharp shots. Hip, like, well, I suppose you're not just rotating yeah. your hip, you're rotating your legs. Basically, your feet are the static point and your legs are twisting, your hip is twisting. There's a whole lot of twisting going on normally. And if you're seated, yeah. not so much. And I've, I, think, I think about it too, that the instructions I've always given to people when they've asked about, um, you know, good panning technique mm-hmm. is if that thing's going to come past from your left to your right, you plant your feet slightly apart, parallel to the flight path, because then you can twist your body more than 90 degrees to the left if you need to, although that gets a little uncomfortable, and more than 90 degrees to the right, so you can get the entire pass without moving your feet, because if you move your feet, you will lose track of the aircraft. Yeah. So, yeah, I learned the hard way that sitting down is a great view, but, um, yeah, you're, you're... Success rate on the shots was much that. lower. I'm not monopod a fan of tripods. Your legs and you were panning with the monopod. Maybe. If, get... if it was the perfect height, maybe. But the thing with, with that, uh, yeah. any mono, so, I mean, I've never actually used a monopod. I do have a tripod and I'll, I'll use it in many situations, but never when panning. And the reason why is because I don't know whether anybody else can I, I suspect not many can, but I certainly can't, because if you are, you know, if if you're going to have your eye to the eyepiece on an SLR, yeah. then you're climbing you're climbing around the tripod as you're panning, which is a yes, yes, of course, difficulty. Because, yeah, the center rotation is not the back of the camera where your eye is; the center is way yeah. forward. So yeah, it spins around. And if if you even if you have a screen on the back, which I don't like for other reasons, but even if you have a screen on the back so you can clearly see it without having to, you know, climb over the tripod, then you are having to do an indirect calculation that you're looking down at the screen and then moving the camera as it sees this. Uh, it just gets messy. And I've actually seen professional video for sale on the internet that I can tell you was filmed with a tripod because it's the tracking of the aircraft is horrid. And say so all the I'm, tail I'm, fins are cut off. Well, you know, it, there's an aeroplane flying by, and if you concentrate on where the aeroplane is within the frame, it bounces around all over the place. The tail disappears off that side, and then the nose disappears off that side, and I think it's all just their inability to control the tripod. Maybe they just need a better tripod. I don't know, but well, the other thing you will not find me with a tripod you, at, any, at any show. If, if you're on a tripod and you have image stabilization, the image stabilization may actually be working completely against you. Oh, I had a video camera for a while and I ended up selling it because of that. The, the darn thing was so small that to hand hold it, I, I had I, my hands, they don't shake that much, but if I'm holding a camera up for a little while, they do. Yeah. So if you didn't have the stabilization on, it was shaky, 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 shaky. And if I turned it on and I'm, okay. you know, there's an aircraft just starting its run up on the, on the runway there and I'd start panning the camera and it's like, oh, picture's not moving so i pan it faster it's still not moving so i pan it faster and then all of a sudden the image stabilization would say oh you want to move the camera whoosh yes yeah, so it's and very so jerky be... movement constantly because it's Instead like i'm of this... stabilizing stabilizing okay i guess i'm not stabilizing no stabilizing again 
Yeah. So instead of the smooth acceleration of the camera, it was like nothing, 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 whoosh, and it just looks silly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of yeah, my the the Sigma lenses I tend to use have an off button for the uh, optical stabilization, which is quite useful. You just go click, and then it's out of your way. Just remember to put yeah. it back on for everything else you do. <laughs> yeah, all, all your uh, stabilization is for handheld of things that aren't moving. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Although handheld, it doesn't seem to mess up my handheld pan shots, but if if a tripod comes into the picture, the OS goes off. In my case, it's it's going to mess it up. Yeah, I, I don't have a great relationship with mine, to be honest. Never know when to have it on or off. No. Okay, Alistair, thank you very much for your time. It was a fun conversation. Um, I had great time, but because I'm a great big aviation geek and you're a great big aviation geek, so I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering how many people are still listening at the end of all this aviation geekery. But whoever you are, I'm sure you enjoyed it too, because you must be an aviation geek as well. Um, do you want to give any links out to the listeners? Um, there will obviously be a link in the show notes to your Flickr stream and also all the photographs we've mentioned throughout the conversation will be linked in the show notes as well. But do you want to give people your Twitter or websites or anything? Uh, yep, Twitter. My handle is ZKARJ, which is an aviation-themed handle as well. And if you want to find anything else about me, including uh, further links to my Flickr stream and, and anything else that I do, that is at zkarj.me. Excellent. Um, you will find those show notes I have mentioned at lets-talk.ie. Uh, what you will also find there are large blue buttons under the heading support the show. There are now five of them. Uh, basically, Patreon, you, you pledge X, X small dollar amount per month. And the great thing is there's not very many fees on that. So it's a very efficient way to give small dollar amounts. Then there's an obvious PayPal button, which does what it says in the tin, a Zazzle store for merchandise, which almost no one uses and will probably go away soon. And then if you need web hosting and you would like to get it from DigitalOcean, if you use my referral link, you get some credit, I get some credit. We both get nice web hosting. Or if you need some domains registered, there is a link there to hover.com, which is my referrer code. Uh, basically, I get a small commission for sending you their way. But both of those last two only work if you actually buy the product afterwards. So don't click on them just for the crack. Unless you need hosting and unless you need domains, don't bother. You're not actually helping anyone, unfortunately. But if you do, it's a fantastic way to help out the show because those kind of bills are the ones that never go away for something internet-based. So every, every time I get a bit of DigitalOcean credit, it really helps. Uh, and the same goes for credit over on Hover, because domains always need renewing. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, I've been your host, Bart Boucher. So you can follow me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey Siri, could you read the Three Geeky Ladies promo script? Sure. Elisa says, Welcome to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast and introduces Susay and Vicky. Susay says, Hello everyone. Vicky says, Hi. Elisa, want to know how we feel about the new Apple product? 
Sue say, what about the iOS camera, Vicky, or the MacBook Pro update, Elisa, Sue say, and Vicky in unison. Then, listen to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast, Siri, the Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the My Mac Podcasting Network.